Any Archuleta here? Okay, not this morning. Yes, just walking in the door as we speak. Okay, so Liz Ortiz has a testimony. She's going to come. Uh, then Stephanie and then Manny is going to come on that order. They're just going to give a brief, quick testimony of the healing that they received. Helen. I just want to give God all the glory because um, Pastor had asked for a line of people that had any addictions. And I came to the altar, but I didn't answer that line. And as I was praying, I thought, I felt the Holy Ghost convict me. He said, you're more addicted to the effort than your trust is in it, more than you trust me. And I remember thinking, I can't live without that thing. And my son had told me, you know what this is? You should stop taking them. But I was already in my fifth bottle, and I would go to sleep, and I would look for it. Okay, it's there. I'm okay. If I can't breathe at night, I'll take it. And I would go to work, and before I got my phone, I got my medicine. And then, anyway, it's been since he preached that week, I prayed, and I said, I claim that, and I'm leaving it right here. I'm making a commitment to you, God, no more. I'm leaving it. I, today, I don't even know where it's at. But God yeah. completely healed me. I keep fine. I am fine. And another thing that he preached about a year ago, and he said, if you're here and you don't eat certain things because you're allergic to I make fun and I say I'm a sesame seed away from being locked up in a bubble I can't eat anything so he goes go home and eat something that you can't eat for the last almost five years I hadn't had any kind of nuts I couldn't have any kind of nuts at special gatherings they would make a special thing for me this is for Lizzie because she can't have nuts I hated it I so I went home and I said I'm taking it and, you know, I could hear people tell me, you're sure, you're sure, don't, no, don't do it, you know. And anyway, so I did. I've been eating nuts for a year now. <laughs> you can go to my car. There's stuff there. I just want to give God all the glory. Thank you. Hallelujah. Uh, since I was pregnant with my fourth child, Uriah, um, I started seeing black spots everywhere and um, uh, swingers and I hated it because I always saw that and I, I just wanted to see clearly and after I had them it went away but recently it came back and so um, I just came to pastor and I asked him if he could please pray for me because it had come back and I didn't want to see these black spots anymore and he prayed for me and I haven't seen them since so I just want to give Jesus all the glory hallelujah Um, my name is Manny. Um, I'm 15 years old, even though I don't look like I am. Um, so it all started, like, before conference when I told my mom that I wanted to be a pastor when I grew up. And then, so, you know, the devil didn't want that, so he, like, rose up against me, you know. Then I started having trouble. Like, I started to see kind of double. And then that's when I, like, I got disappointed. I was like, whoa, whoa what's going on? And then... So I thought it was something normal. Like, I thought I was just going to need glasses. And then I went to the doctor. So they sent me to go get an MRI. And then when I be- when I went back on Wednesday, it turned out that I had a cyst. But when the doctor told me, she was surprised because my reaction, I didn't panic at all, mainly because I didn't know what a cyst was. But, <laughs> but uh, when she explained to me, you know, that's when I started to, like, I was about to panic. I was like... Uh, fear came into my heart and I was like well what's gonna happen right but then as soon as I looked up and I saw my dad he just nodded no and he pointed to heaven and that's when I knew that God had everything under control so then we come and then well pastor prayed for me and then the double went away and then I, I went back on Monday I told the doctors about it they were surprised and then they they didn't do another MRI but they did a bunch of other tests and they said that I didn't have any symptoms of the cyst and I just want to thank God thank God Amen. We are contending for miracles. God is a miracle worker. Amen. You need to believe that. Hallelujah. 1 Peter 1. I want you to open there in your Bibles. Very simple sermon, but I believe a very necessary sermon. There are people here living for God that have never really experienced the genuine joy of salvation. 
There are people here. You're not saved. You're not a Christian. You don't know what it is to have God's joy in your life. Now, for many, life is nothing more than a tormented existence, a a continual cloud of oppression. There are people here that you cannot get free of sickness. Every time you turn around, it's something else. Those that are afflicted in marriage, that it's more of a bondage than something you actually enjoy. I want to make a statement to everyone here. Especially those that you feel as though life will get no better under your current circumstances. I want to make a statement to you. Christian joy is not based upon your circumstance. It is based upon who Jesus is and what He offers us in salvation. You need to get a grip on that. I want to read, it's a little thing from a a thing called the Bible Friend Journal. You're not going to recognize these names, but all these names are very famous, well-off people of the past. And he says, Men have pursued joy in every imaginable avenue. Some have successfully found it, while others have not. Perhaps it would be easier to describe where joy cannot be found. Not in unbelief. Voltaire was an infidel or an unbeliever of the most pronounced type. He was a historian of the past. He wrote, I wish I had never been born. Not in pleasure. Lord Byron lived a life of pleasure if anyone did. He wrote, the worm, the canker, and grief are mine alone. So he didn't have a very happy existence with all of his money. And not in money, Jay Gould, the American millionaire, back when a millionaire was actually something bigger, had plenty of that. But when dying, he said, I suppose I am the most miserable man on the earth. Not in position and fame. Lord Beaconsfield enjoyed more than his share of both. And he wrote, youth is a mistake, manhood a struggle, old age a regret. Not in military glory. Alexander the Great conquered the known world of his day. Having done so, he wept in his tent before he said, There are no more worlds to conquer. So where, then, is real joy found? The answer is simple. It's in Jesus Christ alone. I want to make that declaration to you this morning, and I want to preach a sermon I've called Experiencing the Genuine Joy of Salvation. Now, before the, the, the mind that needs to be challenged simplifies this and turns me off, I want you to open your heart because God is going to help some people. And I want to read out of 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope uh, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, <clears throat> though it be is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see Him yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Experiencing the genuine joy of salvation. Let me talk about the byproduct of our salvation for a moment because it is very interesting and this caught me some months ago and I don't know why but it just caught me that when you read of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5 one of those is joy and it really struck me because I thought well if if that's a fruit of the Spirit and we don't have it then there's a spiritual issue in our lives so here is this direct result of salvation that we find Uh, concerning joy 
that joy or the lack of is directly linked to our spiritual condition. It is not linked to the surroundings of your life. So in this text, Peter makes a particular mention concerning joy. We quote this all the time. He says in verse 8, It is joy inexpressible and full of glory. Now this word inexpressible can easily be replaced with inexhaustible. So think about it. That the reason that Christian joy cannot be exhausted is because it is a fruit of the Spirit and a product of salvation. It comes from God. While you can exhaust the euphoria of a moment and you have to then have another moment for more euphoria, Christian joy is not that way. It's inexhaustible. It is a constant flow. So think about this because people can can have this high level of, of experience of what they call joy or excitement over a sports team winning or some personal victory or some highlight event in life. But the problem with joy that is linked to anything outside of God, you have to experience it over and over again or else it fades away. You ask the person that maybe was a part of a championship team of some sort and and initially it was the most amazing feeling, but you ask them two weeks or a month later and certainly six months later and it just faded away. We have to do it again or it's just a thing of the past and we go on. But that's not the way that Christian joy works. Christian joy is inexhaustible. Why? How? Because it flows from God to us. It's a byproduct of salvation. The things that produce joy on a secular level are very short-lived. This is the reason you have to have more and more. Now think about this because that truth lends towards this constant searching in life. And and Christians are not beyond this. And that's part of what I want to get at this morning. That we're supposed to have this inexhaustible joy. It's supposed to come from God, but a lot of Christians are living on substitutes, and I'll get to that shortly. But think about this, because people commit mass amounts of money and time toward things in life that they think will bring them joy, and I would say, to a certain level, they do. But yet Solomon picks this up, the richest man in his day. There is nothing in life that he could not and did not obtain. So think about this. So Ecclesiastes 1, 7 and 8. First he makes an observation. All the rivers run into the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing and the ear is not filled with hearing. So he's making this picture. You have this flow constantly, uh, but yet the, the waters never overflow. They're always there at the same seeming levels. It's just a constant, but, but there's never... And so he says the same way as in life, uh, that you can see all of this and in, in, in all of this in life, but you never are full. That's, uh, this was his conclusion. But then listen to his personal testimony in Ecclesiastes 2, 10 and 11. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. Now, he could do that. If he wanted something, he had the money and the means uh, to do it. He says, so I held nothing back, no pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my reward from all my labor. But then I looked on all the works of my hands had done, and the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed, all was vanity... He was grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Well, how can that be? How can it be that we can obtain everything in life that seems to be what you should obtain? But yet he describes it as grasping for the wind. You can't catch it. It eludes you all the time. And what he was saying is that I had it all, but yet true joy eluded me. Because joy is a very deep word. You can be sitting in a prison cell and still have the joy that comes from God. All of the amenities of life can be taken from you, but you can still have the joy of God. One man said that joy is a state of mind 
In orientation of the heart, joy is deep. It is a settled state of contentment, confidence, and hope. Where do you get that? You don't see that. We live in an agitated world. They're grasping for everything that you're supposed to have to be happy, but yet it's eluding them. But here's this deep word, Christian joy. It is a settled state of contentment, confidence, and hope. And in light of this, think about the statement Paul made about the Macedonian church in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 2 and 3. That in a great trial of affliction, okay, so that, that didn't start off good. In a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Now we know that Solomon has already told us that is not possible outside of God. How do people go through affliction and come out with more joy than they entered into? You tell me. But he says that these people in the midst of affliction abounded in one of those areas was was their joy. Well, how is that possible? Because everyone says, after all, it's all based upon what we have, don't have, the way that life flows, what we're dealing with, what what we're going through in life. If that's your perspective, then you're going to have a a lot of struggles obtaining what I'm talking about. But if you understand uh, that this is a byproduct of your salvation, uh, that this is a fruit of the Spirit for everyone, uh, James says, James 1, 2, and 3, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Are, Are you kidding me? How do you do that? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. It was a third century man. I don't remember his name. But as he was anticipating death, he penned these last words to a friend. It's a bad world. An incredibly bad world. But I've discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they don't care. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I am one of them. Think about that. That's what's at our disposal, our access. That we are able to enter into this arena of inexpressible joy. And we're talking about something that the world cannot give and the world cannot take it away. Jesus mentioned this in John fifteen eleven when He talked about being the, the vine and the branches. And in this, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This word joy simply means cheerfulness or calm delight that it might remain in you and that it might be full. See, this is God's desire. This was Jesus' prayer for every single one of us, that that would be our portion in life. This is what God offers and makes available to each and every one of us, regardless of your circumstances. And I'm not trying to minimalize. I realize there's some very deep trials going on in this assembly this morning, and there are a lot of things people have been through in life, but that does not discount the reality of what I'm talking about. There's so many of God's people that don't have this. And my ambition is to open the door for you to have it today. So many of God's people lacking this fruit of the Spirit, which is joy. What does a joyful person look like? And what's the difference between the elation over a person's team winning and Christian joy. Is there any difference? There's a humongous difference. There was a conference at the Presbytery Church in Omaha. Now, in the Presbyterian Church, they can't freely say amen, hallelujah during a church service. It's not allowed. So they filled, they, they were each given a helium balloon filled and, and they're holding it. And they said, you release the balloon at some point in the service when you feel like expressing the joy of your heart. So as the service is going, balloons are being released. Honk if you love Jesus. No. (laughs) 
Never mind. So all through the service, these balloons are ascending, but when the service was over, there was still a third of the balloons unreleased. I wonder this morning how many are still holding your balloon. Been saved a while? Born again? You have everything that everyone else has, but you're still holding your balloon because you haven't found your joy yet. I want to secondly talk about the testing of our joy. There are seasons when your joy will be severely tested. Now, in our text, in verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Your rejoicing, that is your joy, is grieved by various trials. This word grieved means to be distressed or under heaviness. So just the nature of life alone will test your joy. Just the thought of the weight of life add to this the pressure of ministry and calling, relational pressures, pressures at work, financial pressures, pressures with your children, all of this together, think about it, becomes this weight, this this grievous time, this this trial of your life uh, that will test your joy. There's a woman in the Bible, she is named Naomi, which means pleasant. And so in Ruth chapter 1, we pick up her story. She has now lost her husband and her sons. And she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. I always get concerned when people start attributing God to their problems. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So life strikes Naomi hard. It has affected her very deeply. And and who wouldn't have been under the circumstances, of course? Results in bitterness. And the destruction of any joy in life. There are people here that you you fall under that category this morning. You're saved. You're You're not not right with God. There's no semblance of joy. She says, God did this to her. Listen to what God told His people in Deuteronomy 28. Now, you have to understand that that God's ambition in this is that He will be the source of all for you. Okay, you have to get that. That God doesn't mean nothing else in life can bring you pleasure or joy because God created this life for us. But but before anything else, we derive it all from God. So, So with this in mind, listen to what He tells His people in Deuteronomy 28, 47 and 48. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything, therefore you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and need of everything, and He will put a yoke of iron on your neck until He has destroyed you. Now, what is going? why is God so ticked off? Something is shifted in His people. God's people made a shift. They begin deriving their pleasure and joy from everything else in life. They begin to even despise the things that God placed in them to a point that they begin to not derive any joy from the Man, that was just a bondage. It's just an affliction. It's just a, a yoke to have to serve God with this type of commitment. And so what they did is they begin to turn to other things which initially weren't sinful at all. Until they begin to take the place of God being their source. Then, see, that's where you get it wrong because you always make your arguments about all your things and your hobbies and all that, that somehow, well, when, when it shifts from God being the main source to those, now they're sinful. They're not neutral anymore. And so that's what ticked God off. 
Because He was no longer the source of their joy. And, and this is the compensation people begin, begin to make if they're not careful. You're, you don't feel the joy of God, and so you begin to look for it elsewhere. You begin to just pour yourself into, into other things to derive that. And, and the thing is, you have to keep pouring because it's only short-lived. And, and to keep getting it, you got to keep pouring. Slowly but surely, we're drifting. Most of God's people are sitting somewhere between Naomi and Israel. Struggling to experience God's genuine joy stuck somewhere in between. So I want to point out three areas that we have to keep aligned with God or you're going to struggle in this area of joy. Now there's probably more, but as Pastor Stevens always says, there are certain things you're inspired about for that sermon those are the things you're going to launch into. So three things I want to mention that, that have to be aligned or, or you're going to really struggle here. And the first of those is uh, dealing with relationships. Okay, we are relational creatures. That's the way God created us. Relational conflict is a part of life, but it cannot remain unresolved. When you begin to allow relational tensions to be unresolved, it will begin to afflict any amount of joy you may have had in God. If you're married, it begins right there. Marriage is not always going to be awesome to the point that you never fight, you never, you know, always get along, always agree, wake up, wake up in the morning, uh, you don't care about their bad breath, you know, nothing, uh, it's all just good. I know that's a woman's fantasy of marriage when she stands at the altar and Lord knows before the honeymoon's over, she's, she's thinking twice already, but it's too late, honey. But your marriage can be the source of great joy or of great anguish. Unresolved relational conflict is a major kill joy. Anybody remember that word? If you do, you're close to my age. Once you get saved, all relationships are three-dimensional. It involves you, another, and God. There's no avoiding that truth. And the Bible makes it very clear that when you have unresolved relational conflict in your heart with another, it directly affects your relationship with God. And guess what? It directly affects the quality of joy in your life. You cannot maintain relational tensions. And I'm not talking about they're there and you only are so limited because, you know, you can't dictate their response. But you're trying. That's not what I'm talking about. It's unresolved. And you leave it unresolved. I preached, uh, or I did a, 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 study, a study for the kids two weeks ago uh, on forgiving your parents. Now, I did see a very dynamic shift in that, uh, but I followed up on it this Friday and, and saw, and I don't know that all the kids came forward for this, but I saw 15 church kids come forward to pray. Now, th- this has never happened. Okay? So, so let me take this home for you church kids. Uh, that or any kid here that you got issues with your parents, uh, if you don't forgive your parents, uh, you will have no quality of God's life in you. Ever. And you'll always look at this as just some just overwhelming thing. I can never t- attain that. This is too hard because you got to have your heart right with others. This is, this is, you can't escape this truth. And there are people sitting here today, you have issues. And as a result, you don't find much joy in what you're doing for God. This is one of the reasons, and it could go beyond just relational, but one of the reasons that people begin to drop from ministry and shelve their calling and stop serving and outreaching and follow-up because there's no joy in it. You come to that place, there's no joy in this anymore. Well, whose fault is that? God didn't change. He didn't change His position. He didn't say, no, no more joy for you. But many times there are things that we have not resolved that, and we begin to blame in life, and, and as a result, we lose the joy. And so we just say, well, i got to go find joy in something. So you just kind of shelve all of those things, and you move on to something else. Relational conflict. Second area that we have to align with God, or you're going to struggle with joy, and that is there's things that are buried within your life. Things that have happened to you, Violations that people have perpetrated against you. 
deep, deep wounds and hurts. Now I'm carefully choosing my words because this is important. Some that you've had the tragedy of losing a loved one perhaps many years back, but you've, you've never gotten to a point of victory over it. We're talking about things that are buried within us. God must have access to the deep things in your life. He wants to get to those. Things that have been buried but never dealt with. You can be a long, long standing Christian, but there are things from your past you've never dealt with. I want to tell you a story. It's not my story. I'm going to retell it. A woman named Mona. She had been saved for about two years, but there was no experience of genuine joy in her life. So here she is serving God, and that's got to be a torment that you're saved. They're talking about this joy, but you don't have any. So here, here she is, and she, uh, in the process, has a horrible accident. And in this accident, she really messes up her back. She's got a, a reoccurring liver issue. She attended one of Pastor Mitchell's healing crusades uh, to get healed from this. She was tormented with this pain, tormented, uh, but something else that she would soon confess she was tormented by. She's living deep within her. That night she left unhealed, more tormented than ever. Her parents convinced her to return that night, and Pastor Mitchell by the Holy Ghost said, Honey, you've had an abortion, haven't you? She explained later that hurt more than anything else because he brought to the surface something she was trying to hide. He made the statement, All this pain in your body is because you gave up that child for abortion. I will say there is forgiveness, so I don't want you walking out of here tormented. But Mona explained later that the abortion to her had been buried, but it hadn't been buried in Jesus. It was just buried within her. Now that it was exposed, it was causing more grief and pain than ever. She was afflicted with this torment, this guilt, this shame. The next day, Mona's rest to the hospital in severe pain, fearing that her liver would once again enlarge. She's gripped with fear. She's afraid of dying. She's hearing clear as day the words that Pastor Mitchell had just spoken, and, and she begins to pray, and she begins to ask God for forgiveness. By the time she reached the hospital, she was completely healed, embarrassed, because there was nothing wrong with her. But says that from that day forward, she began to experience the love and the joy of God like never before. Think about that. She's saved. She's right with God. She would have died and went to heaven. But there was no ability to absorb the love of God, to, to express and feel the, the joy of God. And the issue was uh, something was buried within her. Uh, and listen, the devil will exploit conditions. Uh, he will exploit circumstances uh, and use things that have been buried in your life uh, to steal the source of joy or victory that God will give you. Because He wants you living a tormented existence. that You don't have any semblance of the joy unspeakable. So the third thing I want to mention that you need to be aligned with God or will struggle with your joy is the issue of obedience. Joy is a product of obedience. And that was part of what God was getting at when He rebuked His people and condemned them the way He did because they didn't make Him the source of their joy and His will. You're going to have a very hard time retaining God's joy if you're not looking to be obedient to God's Word and His dealings in your life. You cannot continue to hear the Word of God and the Spirit of God's voice in your life and, and disobey that and expect that you're going to see the byproduct of joy. You can't have the two. Now, God gives us all room to work out our salvation. That's the beauty of grace. The harshness of the law was immediate retribution. Now, part of what was easy about the law is it spelled out for you. It told you exactly what you needed to do, how you needed to do. It told you if you do this, this will happen. If you do that, you're going to die. See, grace is not so simplistic because grace leaves you room to work out your salvation. But the problem is this flesh gets in the way. 
and muddies everything. Well, there's this issue of obedience that God has not changed His mind on from Old or New Testament. And what will happen if you continue to live a life of disobedience is you'll find yourself locked into a life of looking for substitutes. This is what happens to Christians over time. If, if you're not interested in obeying God and finding pleasure in what He wants, is you, you have to go to the substitutes because there's no way that most people, at least, are not going to allow themselves to live this uh, joyless existence. So I'm going to get it somewhere. And so we, we begin to divert into substitutes. And this is what happens in disobedience. This is what happened to Israel time and time again. They did not obey God, so they went looking for substitutes in the land to fill the gap. And this lack of joy in what they were doing for God, it made them come over here into the whole secular world, and and this is where they were going to find it. But you can't have both. And the problem is that kind of drifting, eventually you're going to make the trade in. Think about the men in Matthew chapter 25. They were given these talents. We know that the man that gave them is a representation of God. So he comes and he gives them according to their ability. And the man that was given the one, the least of all, the Bible says he did absolutely nothing with it. As a matter of fact, uh, he had looked at this master as just this... uh, a uh, uh, man that's manipulative and, and looking to, to make money off of you. And so he says, you're not getting anything out of me. And so he buried it. And when the Lord came back uh, looking for a return on his investment uh, with bitterness, with anger, uh, he undigs that and, and thrusts it at his feet, said, here is what you gave me, as if he did some noble thing. But I want you to think about this. Because the result of his disobedience... His slothfulness was he became bitter and angry. Think about how that turns on you. Because you think you're so in control. The opposite of joy. And you're not going to have this if you're not willing to obey God. Or you'll always find yourself filling that lack with the secular realm in order to keep your life from revealing, revealing the lack of true Christian joy. Which eventually... You're going to make trade-ins that are hard to turn back. So let me close then this morning and talk about the sustaining element. In our text, you'll find side-by-side trials and joy unspeakable. Now, the two don't seem to mesh, but when you have the joy of God, they do mesh. You can be in trials and still keep this quality of joy that leads to refreshing doesn't mean everything's great and you never have a bad day and you're not at times battling oppression. All of that's there. But you're always finding refreshing and renewal and and getting back your confidence in God and, and sustaining the work of God in your life. So when David had lost his joy, and in his case he had lost it because of his sin, he knew where to reconnect. And that's where we find Psalms 51, verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. He knew exactly where to go to reconnect uh, for what? To get the joy of God. Because he had done it on his own uh, and he's at this existence. It was not happy. He said, Lord, restore to me the joy of salvation. That would be a very good prayer for some of you to pray. Start praying it. God, restore to me the joy of what I'm doing for you. Christianity doesn't always have to be this drudgery and this weight. And See, but there's issues that we're not dealing with in our hearts that allow for this. And this quality of joy is a crucial element in sustaining your salvation. Think about when Ezra's there in the book of Nehemiah and he's giving out the law and a statement is made. In Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So think about what's your strength? He could have said a lot of things. The joy of the Lord is your strength. This is true. You know, are you still convinced that salvation is the best thing on the face of this earth? Because if you're not, you're in trouble. Because you're going to begin to do trade-offs along the way. 
This is a sustaining element when you possess the joy of God. It keeps you no matter what season of life you're in. And don't confuse this with the joy you may feel linked to a certain pastime of yours or certain pursuits of life. And again, uh, there are other things we derive pleasure from and they're okay. They're not wrong. But listen, that's not what we're talking about. Because those will not sustain you. They will cost you a lot to maintain. And if your joy in life is associated with money or material things or job or career, it is false, it is deficient, it is always at risk of being lost. And what I'm talking about has an eternal foundation to it. Ultimately, the quality of joy I'm talking about requires an eternal focus. Everything else in life is just a means to an end. If you see it otherwise, you're going to struggle. doesn't mean it's wrong or bad, but we're leaving it all behind. If we're truly going to heaven, if Jesus really is coming back, we're leaving it all behind. And some ungrateful kid's going to get it and blow it all overnight. But you won't be here to be vexed over it, so don't worry about it. But think about it. Everything in life is a means to an end that comes and goes. But if you have the fruit of the Spirit, joy, you will always recover and continue to flourish in your salvation. That's how we get long-standing members of churches, because they've learned this. So look at our text in verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a lively hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Does that mean anything to you? Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, people that sit in church and don't have that, they really have a hard time figuring out the people that do have that. It boggles them. Because their whole world is so about the things they have and possess and the people they know and their job and their car. They can't fathom people actually going through stuff and, and just kind of blowing it off like no big deal. And they say, Are you crazy? You, you got too deep into that thing. No, you're not deep enough. It's eternal. It derives from eternity. It's all based upon the fact that there's a place reserved in heaven for us. We are directed towards eternity and eternity's rewards. And and if this means nothing to you and cannot motivate or keep you, then your problems are much deeper than just being a little diverted. Because that's our promise. That's what it's all about. Thank God we enjoy this life. God didn't Put, put us here to, to, to be miserable people. But if that's all you got, then you're the most miserable person. You just don't see it. You're blind. You're naked. You're destitute. The problem is you don't see it because you think that happiness is found over here when it's really found over here. Paul made a statement, and I'm closing. Reveals his source as eternal. Acts 20, verses 22 through 24. And see now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulation await me. So the word is, he's going to go and they're going to put him to death. But none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now think about the context of what Paul is saying here. He knows as he goes to Jerusalem this may be it. Done. They're going to take his life. He's going to now meet his maker. So he's facing the very real prospect of life ending on this earth. For some of you, that terrifies you. Which I don't get it as Christians. I get it to the extent of 
there's uncertainty. We don't totally, you know, have it all in our understanding sometimes. But, but Christians that are terrified of dying, outside of the fact that they're afraid of leaving perhaps children, loved ones, I understand that. You're missing something eternal. Paul had this. And the statement captured me that I may finish the race with joy. Now, he's already been through all manner of horrible hardships. Now, he's spending time in prison. hes I mean, what kind of quality of life is that? But, see, this is the misconception. We think that quality of life, again, is our freedom and the things we can have and, and the things we and the places we can go. And the, you know, you're missing it. True quality of life is this joy inexpressible. And he had this. And, and in this context of his life, perhaps ending, but none of those things move me, he says. Nor do I count my life dear to myself that I may finish the race with joy. God help us. And here is what so many Christians are missing. There must be a very real persuasion of eternity working in our salvation. Paul says that I might finish my race with joy. I want to go out even when my end is difficult and uncertain. I want to go out with powerful joy. And you know what else he says? I want this to testify the gospel of the grace of God. I want others to be encouraged about this powerful grace of God that we have at our access that will carry you and keep you and sustain you no matter where you're at in life. And here is where you experience the genuine joy of salvation. And remember what Jesus said to His disciples, Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. It has to mean something. It has to mean something. If it doesn't, you're the most miserable pitied person I could think of on the face of the earth that knows the truth but does not have that. Now, I don't say that as a demeaning way, but you have to see it. If you don't see it, you're going to miss it and you're going to miss something much greater in eternity. This morning, I want to make an appeal to every person here to press in to experience the genuine joy of salvation. doesn't mean you're not going to have any bad days. doesn't mean all of your trials are going to go away tomorrow. There's something you're going to have that's going to keep you and sustain you and fill you that nothing else in this life... And you know what will start happening? You'll enjoy the things you have even more because you're enjoying them with the thought of give or take, I care less. You know, if I lose it all tomorrow, I still got this, man. Now, if I lose this, I've lost it all. And I'm telling you, your quality of life will shoot through the roof. Your quality of living across the board, your ability to enjoy your children and enjoy your spouse and enjoy your church and enjoy your ministry and enjoy the, the secular things, they'll all shoot through the roof. But it's all linked to experiencing the genuine joy of salvation. Can you say amen? Can I ask that every head be bowed and every eye closed as we wait upon God, allowing Him to work and help us? He wants to save people this morning. He wants to bring deliverance to an existence of torment, of emptiness. So many people, that's what describes your life. But I'll tell you, Jesus is here this morning. He's here to do a miracle in your life. We allow Him. A miracle of salvation. You can't find it in the world. You've tried, you've searched, you've looked, you, you've ended up empty again and again. And here you are this morning, by the grace of God, you're sitting in this assembly you're hearing this word from God and God is drawing in your heart and you're ready to get your heart right with Jesus. God is ready to receive you. If you'll ask Him to forgive you today, God will forgive you. If you repent of your sin, God will break the bondage of that sin and a miracle will take place. You're ready for that today. I want to ask you to do something. If you would like me to pray with you, bring you to Christ, and open the floodgates of all that God is upon your life, I want you to lift your hand up. Just put it up and hold it up. All across this place, God's dealing with you. Thank you here. Who else? Who else? Put it up and hold it up. I want to see your hand. Thank you. Who else? 
I'm ready to get right with God. I, I want His joy unspeakable. I want the change that God can bring. You're, you're right. To, the, the existence I'm living, you're right. But God's calling you right now. Today is your day. This is the day of your salvation. Will you come to Jesus? Lift your hand up. God's calling you right now. Who's that? God's dealing with you. There's an emptiness. There's an emptiness. Your life is scattered in every direction. You've tried to hold it together, but you found it's not possible. You need Jesus in the center of it all. Come to Christ. Who else? Along with His honest heart. I'm not right. I want to get right. Lift your hand up. Who's God dealing with right now? Very quickly. You're backslidden. And you may be realizing by this sermon that you sat in church and backslidden. You're missing this to a degree enough to say, you know what? I've made substitutes that that I've shifted too far. And I want to get my heart back right with God. Lift your hand up. Lift it up. God's dealing with you. Who's that? Put that hand down. Who else? God's dealing with you right now. You're deliberating. You're you're pondering it. What is there to ponder? People get so afraid in this life of what they think they have to give up if they're going to serve God. Well, I can tell you one thing you give up, an existence in hell for all eternity. I think that's worth giving up. But that just shows us how bound we are to this temporal life. How addicted and idolatrous it's become within us. That our deliberation is, well, what I gotta give up, what I gotta stop, I'm not ready. Well, you have to decide that. It's your salvation. But I'm asking you this morning, God's calling you, and He's ready to fill your life with all that He is. Thank you. Who else? Honest hearts. You're ready to come to Jesus. You gotta put some things away. There's some things that are holding you back, and you're ready to give them up today for Jesus. Lift your hand. I want to pray with you. You're not right with God. Okay, those that raised their hand, I want you to look at me eye to eye right here. Do you mean that? I believe you did, and you meant that. I want you both to come. Two brothers are going to pray with them. Everyone else's head is bowed. I want to appeal to Christians for a moment. Relational conflict. It's an issue that surrounds your life. It's time to get it right this morning. Now, I realize that you cannot dictate the response of another, but you can get your heart right. You can put away your hatred, your anger, your bitterness. See, the reason people hold on to that because they want a manipulation tool. They want something to hold against that person because they're so afraid of that person getting off scot-free. Well, there's a God in heaven. And you're the one that's paying the price. That's what I told the kids. You you hold it against your parents. It doesn't matter what the issues are. You're the one paying the price. You're the one that's feeling the anger and the torment. You're the one that's cutting yourself and doing all the manner of craziness. Well, are you ready to give it up today? And I want to ask, in particular, that you know there's relational conflict in your life that's unresolved. And you're going to go on record. And this way, you're going to, in a moment when we open the altar, you're going to come to this altar and bring you and lift your hand. Who else? Who else? Others. Who else? Hands are going up. Who else? Thank you. Who else? Who else? Thank you. Who else? Look, I'm not going to put you in a spotlight. God's trying to help you. Relational conflict. You're you're ready to let it go and break it. You don't exactly know how it's all going to work, but but God's going to help you. Who else? Thank you. Thank you. Who else? Thank you. Who else? Thank you. Yes. Who else? Listen, this is your moment of freedom. You don't deal with this, you're not getting free. God's ready to free you from that prison, that torment that comes because of that. Who else? Thank you. Who else? Thank you. Who else? Anger, bitterness, resentment. Your your struggle with it could be for all manner of reasons. Thank you. Who else? Thank you. Who else? God's going to help you. Help. Yes. Thank you. Who else? Thank you. Others. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Others, oh, God is in this place. God is in this place. You can put those hands down. There are people you have things buried. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I want you to be identified in your own spirit. They're buried. You're scared to death of, or you think it's gone, but it's not. And you realize this morning it's not. You have to deal with that. You have to bring it to the cross and 
You may even need some counsel. This depends on the situation. Oh, but let God have it. Bury it in Jesus. Don't bury it in you because it's going to afflict you with all manner of sickness, pain. There are people here, you've been in prayer line after prayer line, but there's an issue that's buried deep in. And and once you deal with that, you're going to get healed. Matter of fact, I, I declare that if you do that at this altar, there's going to be some healings at this altar without ever anybody laying hands on you. We're going to stand. And I'm asking you to come and make a place and let God help you. There's an anointing here to break the yoke this morning. You have to understand, this wasn't just a a sermon for the sake of joy. It was a sermon for the sake of breaking bondages this morning. Breaking yokes that have tormented and afflicted and oppressed uh, because that is the ministry of Jesus Christ. And you're coming because you're... And if you raise your hand for a relational conflict, you do not belong at your seat. Bring it to this altar. Ask God to forgive you. And then you go make that right however you need to do it. And God's going to free you. Obedience. Oh, God, help us. Lord, break yokes at this bondage at this altar this morning. God, break through the torment and affliction by the blood of Jesus. God, we're releasing to you right now this morning, and we're going to do what we need to do to get our hearts right. Align them with you. And let it be our testimony, O God, joy inexpressible the inexhaustible joy of God it is not dependent upon the things of this life but it is eternal it is a fruit of the spirit it comes from God it is a product of salvation and this is what God wants to give you freedom liberty and joy the peace of God some of you have no idea what the peace of God is You've lived tormented. And before we leave this morning, I'm going to pray for those that are tormented in your mind. And we're going to pray for an absolute miracle of deliverance this morning. But first, you have to put some things at this altar. You've got to put your baggage down. Put aside those things that you've been holding on to. Confess. And be willing to say yes to God. And no more are you going to stand in indecision and you're going to be a heart that's open. God, I want to be open to your word. I want to be responsive. No longer am I going to pick and choose what I'm going to obey. Because you'll never have the joy of God that way. Oh, God, we're asking for a demonstration of your power at this altar. Right now, God, as you're uprooting those deep things, God, a miracle is taking place by the blood of Jesus. I want you to begin to press into God this morning. Begin to press into God. God's available here. If you'll press into Him, touch heaven. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. Oh, God, have right of way this morning at this altar. God, have access to our hearts, to our minds. Oh, thank you, Lord. I tell you, God's doing a deep work at this altar. Spirit of God is accessing hearts. So there's, a, there's a renewal. See, you think that to get back on track, you have to do all these things. And all you got to do is realign your heart. One visit to the altar can revolutionize your life all over again. doesn't mean you're not going to struggle and not have the same battles, but you're going to have this ability that you didn't have before. You've lived with it so long, you're just convinced it can never change. You're convinced somehow that your life is just bound by your circumstances. And unless the circumstances change, it's always going to be the same. That is a lie from hell. That is the biggest lie that I could think of this morning. 
Because our joy is not dependent upon that. It is dependent upon who Jesus is. And I'm going to ask you right where you're at, please do not go back to your seats, but I want you to stand right where you're at. Your heads are bowed. I want to make a specific appeal before we release the service. Heads are bowed. You're right where you're at. Don't go back to your seat. But you are tormented in mind. You're afflicted. It's just a, an, an agitation that you deal with on a daily basis. And, and that is not normal. That may be something we deal with here and there, but that is not normal that that is the, the norm in your life. And you've just, and it's just oppression. When I mention joy or peace, it means nothing to you. But you want it to be. You really do want it to be. I want you to come and stand across the front. Everybody else just kind of back up and stay there. We're going to sing a song one time through. If that's you, you're coming. And we're going to pray. And we're going to believe God. Everyone else is staying. You're helping me pray at this altar. Let's sing through the song one time. Oh, lift your hands. Sing it in worship. my daughter I would speak unto you saith God and even know that a new day and a new hour I desire to bring upon you only hear the word of the Lord today and follow hard after it saith God am I not the Lord God of your past am I not the same yesterday today and forever I have changed not saith God only pursue me with all of your heart and even hear the word of the Lord today Follow hard after it and know I will break yokes of bondage and torment and affliction. Yea, even my joy will be your portion, saith God. Only heed the word of the Lord today, saith God. Hallelujah. Let's worship God. Hallelujah. Oh, worship God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Wonderful. Hallelujah. We're going to pray a mass prayer. Those that came, and I'm, 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 I'm assuming that you, you dealt with whatever God dealt with you with, okay? doesn't mean you're not going to have another battle in your life, but you're going to get dominion over it. You've confessed it today, and God is going to break some things. Now, you're here for that prayer. Lift your hand so I know who you are. I don't miss anybody. Okay, all through here, through here. Okay. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Lord God in heaven, I thank you for the rewards of eternity. I thank you that your ministry is to break through oppression and oppression. And by the blood of Jesus, I take dominion over the torment and affliction that has been my existence. And I break the curse that has hovered over me. And I confess those things that I've tucked away, those relational issues. Whatever has given access... I'm giving it to you today. And I'm breaking the curse of this. I'm pushing back on it. And God, I'm asking for victory. I want your joy. I want your peace. I'm receiving it. And I'm cooperating with you today. In Jesus' name, begin to worship God, Father, right now. Break every yoke by the blood of Jesus. 
I break the yoke right now. Peace of God flow forth in Jesus' name. Oh, the blood of Jesus minister in Jesus' name. I break the yoke and the curse by the Holy Ghost. Break the power right now in Jesus' name. Let there be liberty. Freedom in Jesus' name. You tormenting spirit, be loosed right now. Be loosed in Jesus' name by the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, every yoke will be broken right now. Every yoke will be broken. It will not return. Oh, in the name of Jesus, be loosed right now. Hallelujah. Touch her right now. Oh, joy of God, flood her soul. Hallelujah. Touch her right now in Jesus' name. I break the yoke of oppression. I break every yoke in power. Oh, worship God together. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, God is good. I tell you, there's liberty here. And it doesn't have to be wishful thinking. There's deliverance in, in, a, in a time like this. And if you'll press into this, God is going to move supernaturally and abundantly. You realign your heart with God. He's your everything. He's your all. And you watch. I want to hear the. Te- I'm going to watch when you walk through the door. I'm going to tell. I can see it in your face. You're going to be a different person. And you're going to push back on it. God is going to be glorified. Can you say Amen? Hallelujah. We're going to dismiss the service. Thank you so much for allowing me to pray with you. Let's bow our heads. Don't forget, uh, and I forgot to announce, I apologize. There is a water baptism immediately uh, following the service. If we just make our way to the fellowship hall, it'll be over in a quick fashion. You can move on with your day. But let's let's rejoice with the new believers in Christ, baptized into the body of Christ. And then tonight come, uh, remember, is America in by?